Welcome to the Cocky Ride Home for Friday, July 30th, 2021. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, I read a BuzzFeed article about virality and go on a rant about the creator economy. Pornhub has a new campaign to help bolster museum tourism. And we may have found a fingerprint from Michelangelo on a statue's butt. Here is a very classy installment of cool news from today. As someone who's been posting videos on YouTube for the better part of 14 years, I'm very familiar with non-creators' confusion about how much money creators actually make and how we make it. Some people think that you get something like a few cents per subscriber or per like on a video, and others are certain that mid-level Instagram and YouTube stars are rolling in far more dough than they actually are. BuzzFeed News recently reported on the case of Kevin Perry, a video creator who's had a lot of hits over the years. His latest video to really take off was posted earlier this month on Twitter and TikTok and features him sort of falling down and transforming into various household objects thanks to the magic of video editing. It's a seriously impressive and captivating piece of visual art, and people loved it. As of writing, it's sitting at 16 million views on Twitter and many more on assorted TikTok and Instagram pages both his and those of others who have credited him. All told, the video has about 75 million views. And Perry has not made a single cent off of it. And that's not unusual. Unless you're part of a partner program on YouTube, Facebook, or TikTok, which only recently began theirs and is still very restricted, you don't get money just for getting views. Now, if Perry had posted this video on YouTube, and had been a part of their partner program prior to posting it, and it garnered anything close to the views it did on other platforms, say, maybe 10 million views, he could be looking at a nice chunk of change. You know, maybe several thousand that first month, and more over preceding months as the video continues to get discovered. It's all tough to calculate, since it's based on views and clicks on ads, not any straightforward, like, X views equals Y dollars kind of thing. But even then, he'd still be making nothing every time the video was viewed on another platform, or on another channel where someone ripped his video and re-uploaded it. YouTube's content ID system has started getting better at recognizing this and sometimes redirecting the money towards the YouTube partner that originally uploaded the video, but you still have to meet certain criteria and opt into that content ID feature. And if someone ripped it from YouTube and uploaded it to, say, Twitter, once again, Perry would be making zero dollars, and maybe not even getting credit with his name. This is the reality of going viral. The money does not come from the views alone. Where it can start coming in is when advertisers come knocking, which if you make one or more videos with several million views, they will. You just have to be discerning in which deals might actually be worth your time. The biggest question, though, is whether you actually want to work with advertisers and continue making content, or if your successful video or TikTok was just a flash-in-the-pan accident and you're ready to go back to everyday life. But if this is what you've been working towards, one viral video can really help. It probably, hopefully, got you a lot of followers across various platforms, which will further entice brands and give you a built-in audience for subsequent creations. You do actually have to keep working at it, though, probably even harder than you were before, in some ways. 
So you'll likely make money by partnering with brands and doing sponsored content. That's where some of the big bucks can come in, depending on your followers and reach. And if you're lucky enough to get into one of the creator partner programs on one or more of the platforms, you'll get some added income there, mostly through AdSense type of models. As an example, you could post a video to YouTube that gets 100,000 views and make close to $1,000 in ad revenue by the end of the month. But if that video was also part of a brand sponsorship, depending on your other stats and relationship with the brand and negotiating savvy, you might have made three or four more times that just from the brand deal. And of course, on platforms without ad revenue, the brand deals are close to the only way to bring in money. But with a now larger audience, you can also start membership or patronage-style programs on some of the platforms themselves or on a third party like Patreon. Some creators are able to leverage this to make anywhere from a couple hundred to tens of thousands of dollars a month. Then there are options like streaming on sites like Twitch. You can also license some of your videos to brands for certain periods of time or to news channels anytime they ask to play a clip on air. All of these are things that won't really make you much until you have a big audience. But if you had that one video blow up with millions of views, a combination of all of the above could turn into an okay income for as long as you can keep it up. But the real way you'll turn this into a career? Treating the content you post as a commercial for yourself, as Perry describes it. He works in film, so anytime he creates something on his own that does well online, it showcases his skills. He wrote on Twitter following the success of his most recent video, quote, Tell your teenage child that going viral is useless. I'm successful in this industry because I can bring a decade's worth of experience to the table. I know how to storyboard an ad, pitch it to a client, I can deliver on time, etc., etc. Get those skills first. End quote. Preach, Kevin. I've been in the YouTube Partner Program for about a decade. I have a little under 100,000 subscribers. To people who watch a lot of YouTube, that is a laughably small amount. And yet, I've made a steady check for my videos for years, had plenty of sponsored opportunities, been invited to conferences, booked as a performer, and gotten plenty of other work as a speaker, writer, and video editor on the basis of my channel. Because it's basically like a living resume. And that's how a lot of mid-level creators describe it. It's less about the numbers on the video and more what the video can do for you beyond those numbers. You can make a career as an internet creator, but very rarely is it about going viral or accidentally amassing millions of followers by just sharing about your life or making funny videos. And at first, even those examples take way more work than it would seem, but more likely your career will be more multifaceted. It won't just be making videos or TikToks, it'll be leveraging a modest viewership from those to both hone your craft and get noticed for other opportunities. Opportunities which you've got to be able to deliver on. So are some creators online making a good deal of money? Absolutely. But the ones who you think are might actually be making substantially less. And the ones who you think may be making close to nothing could have an entire lucrative career chugging along behind the scenes. There's a number of companies out there that try to get people more interested in visiting museums, like Museum Hack, who hires comedians to take people on tours of all the weirdest offbeat items and collections at various exhibits around the world. And now, Pornhub decided to get in on the fun. They recently launched a program called Classic Nudes, in which they curated paintings and sculptures featuring nudity at four museums around the world, the Mets in New York, the Musée d'Orsay in Paris, the National Gallery in London, and 
and Museo del Prado in Madrid, and are inviting people to go along on the tours in person or virtually on their site. They say on their official site, quote, Join us as we tour the most respected institutions in Western art, guiding you past all the prude paintings and going directly to the good stuff, representations of the naked body in all its artistic glory. Because porn may not be considered art, but some art can definitely be considered porn. End quote. And one journalist, Matt Willa, writing for Input Mag, recently gave classic nudes a go at The Met. You can click through the curations online and get treated to text, audio, and video accompaniments, but if you choose to visit one of the museums in person, you can access a map to help you find each artwork. Willa reported that the map left much to be desired, so fair warning there. And it is curated. This isn't just a list of every nude body depicted in each museum. Quoting Willa, wondering why French painter Paul Gauguin's Tahitian women bathing was not included, quote, Officer and Gentleman, the design firm Pornhub worked with on this tour, had the answer. Gauguin is cancelled. The original long list of paintings was put together by ourselves and vetted by a team of art historians here in Spain, who gave us insight into each piece and helped us remove those with questionable backgrounds or subject matters, Officer and Gentleman co-founder Alex Katz tells Input via email. And when I took a few minutes to Google Gauguin on the subway home, I found out about his very problematic history with portrayals of Polynesian people. Despite Pornhub's insistence that it worked to feature as many works by women and BIPOC artists as possible, and its inclusion of a section on the classic nude site meant to highlight diversity in the world of naked art, every work but two on my tour were created by white men. It's no wonder, then, that the vast majority of the stops on the tour are of nude women. End quote. Now, slightly to Pornhub's credit, they can only work with what the museum has in its collection, but Willa thinks they could have swapped a few female nude paintings for some Greek statues of men, just to even the playing field. Overall, however, he says, quoting again, Curation issues aside, I genuinely enjoyed the classic nudes tour. The Met, which I've always viewed as a pretty conservative space, came alive with fresh, horned-up feeling as I ran around looking for all the best nudes it could offer. The descriptions Pornhub's written for each piece are genuinely laugh-out-loud funny. I had thought I might feel a little pervy visiting the Met just for nudes. Instead, it made the museum's collection come alive in ways I'd forgotten it could. Given the year Pornhub has had in the media, a December 2020 New York Times column about exploitive and illegal porn on the site prompted the company to nuke millions of videos, it's a little difficult for me to see beyond classic nudes as a reputation-rebuilding PR stunt, but as far as PR stunts go, and despite the project's emphasis on the cis white male gaze, this is a fun one. End quote. And I do have to echo that sentiment, Pornhub is not a pristine company, no matter how creative this and some of their other campaigns have been. And I do have one more warning for you, if you decide to go exploring their classic nudes site virtually or at a museum. I mean, we are talking about nudes, artistic as they may be, so you are probably already going to be wary looking at this site in public, but... If you hit video guide on the first slide for any of the museums on the Classic Nudes site, you will be taken to a page with a video recreation of the featured painting, and those videos are uh, decidedly explicit. Like, they are much more akin to the actual content you'd expect to see on Pornhub, except set to classical music. And I'll echo Will's critique of diversity here. For all four of those video recreations, of which they had whole museum collections to pick from, they chose entirely white subjects. 
Now, granted, that's what's in a lot of museums, so I guess that's kind of fine, though slightly disappointing, but three of the four were solo portraits, so to speak, and Classic Nudes gave them partners for the video recreations who didn't appear in the paintings to um, perform with, and they chose to pair all three of them with opposite-gender partners. Not a single same-gender pairing to speak of, even for Gustave Courbet's Origin of the World, which I've heard multiple lesbian women recount as being instrumental in the awakening of their sexuality. So I don't know, just seemed like a bit of an oversight and missed opportunity not to include some same-gender action there. But the larger point of this is that definitely watch what you're clicking on, because all of the videos have some very graphic scenes. But there you go, if you live near New York, London, Paris, or Madrid and have been looking for a way to spice up your next museum visit, you're welcome. Well, I guess I'm just gonna go all in on nude statues in museums news today. It was reported earlier this week that curators at the Victoria and Albert Museum in London believe they may have found an actual fingerprint from Michelangelo on the backside of a wax model that he made for a larger sculpture that was never completed. Quoting Live Science, Called a slave, the wax figurine had been on display, but curators moved it from an upper-level gallery during the unusually warm spring in 2020 to a cooler storage area when the museum temporarily closed during the COVID-19 pandemic, according to the Times. Five months later, curators checked up on the figurine in storage, and they noticed a never-before-seen fingerprint or thumbprint on the sculpture's derriere. Perhaps the changing temperatures and humidity levels modified the figurine's wax composition, which made the print more apparent, art scholars told the Times, end quote. And from BBC Two, who showed off the possible fingerprint in the first episode of their new series, Secrets of the Museum, quote, The marks, known through examination of the wax, are being explored further by conservators and curators at the museum. Senior curator Peta Mature says, It is an exciting prospect that one of Michelangelo's prints could have survived in the wax. Such marks would suggest the physical presence of the creative process of an artist. It is where mind and hand somehow come together. He destroyed a lot of the wax models himself. A fingerprint would be a direct connection with the artist. End quote. And yes, indeed, Michelangelo burned a lot of his works, wax models, papers, drawings, etc., before his death, which some think was to avoid plagiarism and others speculate could be because he wanted to appear like the type of genius who never had to work hard or draft anything. Now, to confirm if this fingerprint really is Michelangelo's, the curators plan to compare it to a known fingerprint of the artists on a 1530 terracotta statue known as Two Wrestlers. But the important thing to know for now, as Rusty Foster said in his Today in Tabs newsletter, and as would make Nemo proud, Michelangelo touched the butt. Well, that is it for this week. I am looking forward to being back home and podcasting from my own space and in fully real time with all of you again on Monday. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotke.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I hope you all have a fantastic weekend. I will talk to you again on Monday.